Erev Tov, good evening. Welcome back to the Shiur on Agadah. We are in the middle of Rabbeinu Avraham, the son of the Rambam, the son of Maimonides, in his introduction to Drashot Chazal, to the non-legal, non-halachic parts of the Talmud. Last week we spoke about a few things, the first being most important, which is Rabbeinu Avraham ben Rambam says, it is forbidden, both according to human logic and according to the laws of the Torah, to believe in something that someone said, only because they said it. So to believe in something that a great rabbi said without logical analysis or legal analysis of the matter at hand is forbidden. It's forbidden on a human intellectual level and it's forbidden on a Torah level. Everything that we hear in the name of someone must be examined in its own, for its own merits. We can't say, well, because this person was a great rabbi, this was a great chacham, they could never make a mistake. And because of that, everything they said I must accept. Rather, the things that our rabbis tell us and our teachers tell us, everything must be examined in the proper way before we can accept it. And then Rabbeinu Abraham and Rambam told us at the end of last week that the most important thing to remember is that this doesn't just apply to Torah. This applies everywhere. He said Aristotle was the greatest of philosophers. But just because Aristotle reached certain levels of wisdom doesn't mean that we say, you know, he was the master of the philosophers. Everything he said must be true. Rather, the things that he can prove, we accept. The things that he cannot prove, and we must accept it only because someone said it, those things we have no obligation, and perhaps the obligation is not to believe those things until we can prove otherwise. And Rabbeinu Abraham ben Rambam showed that our Chachamim very often retracted statements that they said. Chazar bo Ribi Ploni medavarav. Ribi Ploni so-and-so took back his opinion. Rabbi so-and-so took back his ruling. Why? Because the truth is most important. It's not who said something or I said something and I have to back up what I said. You live in a very interesting world. There are people who say something. They issue a statement. They make a public announcement. They, they tell you in a conversation something. Quickly into the conversation, they realize just how wrong they are but they're so far into their lie, they're so high up their tree, they're not able to retract the things that they said. And they'll fight tooth and nails for them to be right, even though they know, they know they're not right. They know they're not right, you know they're not right, but they don't know how to back down. Because in their mind they think that retracting an opinion is my saying that I'm a fool. And it's not true, to the contrary. You know, I'll tell you a story that I've shared to those on my kolel regularly. But for those who are new with us, when I was learning Torah in those days, in those days where our feet stood in the gates of Yerushalayim, I was learning Torah by Mori Arav Yaakov Peretz, and we were studying the laws of Ma'akeh, Dinei Ma'akeh. Ma'akeh is connected like a mezuzah, you have to put a mezuzah on the door of your home. If you have a roof of your home that people can go sit on, for example in a Mediterranean type house, not so much where we live, where the houses are pointy, but they have a big uh, rooftop. The roof is the third floor of the house, the second floor of the house, whatever floor it is. And you can go up there, and you can barbecue there, or sleep out there in the summer. Or, you know, I have a, a friend from Iran, and he told me that he had a problem sleepwalking when he was a kid. And the problem was there was no air conditioner where he lived uh, growing up many years ago. And he said his mother used to have to tie him down in the middle of the night. She would tie him to herself. That way, if he would start walking away in the middle of the night, he wouldn't fall over the edge. The halachot are hichot ma'akeh. I remember growing up in Israel, we would spend a lot of time on the roofs. When I lived in Israel, my sukkah was on the roof. The summers we spent on the roof. Do you want to see the kotel? You stand on the roof. 
The roof is another floor of the house. And our Torah institutes that when you have a roof that people can fall off of, you have a legal obligation to put a ma'ke, to put a fence, a protective barrier around the roof so that nobody will fall down from it. Rav Peretz holds that even by a window. You know, you hear stories about children falling out of windows. You have an obligation to put soragim, to put uh, bars on your windows in a, in a place where it's dangerous, where people can fall out of it. The question among the poskim was, do you make a beracha or do you not make a beracha? Do you recite a blessing when you put up the ma'ke or not? I mean, how much of a mitzvah is it? Is it a practical mitzvah? Is it not? The chachamim argue about this. And Rav Peretz was giving a shiur and he said, you know, even though Rabbi Ovadiah Yosef says that you don't make a blessing, I'm asking a forgiveness from the honor of his Torah, but he's incorrect and you must make a blessing on the market. And it's interesting because I recalled just a few weeks before, I had learned these laws in the writings of Rabbi Ovadiah Yosef, and I raised my hand and said, uh, I'm just throwing out there, I believe that Chacham Ovadiah Yosef says that you should make a blessing. And he said, no, it's famous. Rabbi Ovadiah Yosef's famous opinion that you don't make a blessing on the market. He argued with everybody else, you don't make a blessing on the market. And I said, let's look at it after the shul. So he agreed. We, after the shul, we opened up an edition of everybody who says writings. And in there, Chacham Yosef says, I used to say that one does not make a blessing on a ma'ke. For many years, that was his opinion. He said, but my opinion today is that I was incorrect and that you should make a blessing on a ma'ke. And Agapel was so excited. And I remember him saying, you see, that's the greatness of a great man is a person who's able to say, I made a mistake. I made a mistake and I'm not so caught up in my mistake that I can't take it back. That's, that's greatness. That's not a fool. That's not a person who's prone to making mistakes. In general, the difference between the East and the West, our religion is not from the West. The difference between those religions and failure. What is really a failure? It says, Sheva sadik A righteous man falls seven times and gets up again. So what's the difference between a righteous man and an evil man? The difference is that a righteous man gets up and an evil man stays down. The righteous say, I made a mistake, it's not going to hold me back. And There's no righteous person on earth who only does good and doesn't sin. And a rasha, a rasha is one, what does the Navi tell us? who says that good is bad and bad is good, who says that evil is righteous and righteous is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, is a person who's so caught up in their evil that they don't ever get out of it. But failure is part of success. The success is measured by did you fail and learn a lesson from it. In a world where failure means you tried a business and you failed and now you owe debt, you're a failure. Why? Business number two or three or four or ten is going to make you a millionaire. And who's the failure then? What you learn in life from your failures is what makes you a success. When I was in Yerushalayim and I was studying by Peretz, he would often tell us that when his children would receive report cards, he would take the report card, it would come in an envelope, and he would ask his son, tell me, what did you learn in this class? What do you remember from that class? Do you like the teacher? Do you like the topic? Tell me some. Wow, do you like school? Yes. He would rip the envelope, throw it in the trash. Who needs a report card? I know this opinion won't be popular among some of you. My wife is a teacher, my mother is a teacher. I know, I know the world of, of report cards. It's based on a, a wording of the Chachamim, that the, the jealousy, the competition among scholars will increase scholarship. But it's not accurate. 
There was a famous Hasidic master who said today, all that happens among scholars is when they compete with each other, they fight it with each other more. There's no genuine pursuit of scholarship by competition. Your child is doing well. Let them be well. So they got an A minus. Big deal, they got an A minus. It's not good enough for my parents. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. But it's good. You got a you got a passing grade. You got a failing grade, but the teacher was good for nothing. So that makes you a failure. How many people dropped out of high school, dropped out of university, and are successful giants today? And those who graduated, and they're not. You don't know how to measure success. Hakadosh Baruch Hu does. What do we say here in Rosh Hashanah Kippurim? Bochen klayot valev. Hakadosh Baruch Hu knows what goes on inside of a person. Lefum tsara agra. Chachamim tell us that based on how much you put in, the effort you put in is your reward. Our Chachamim are not afraid of being wrong. That's not to make me a failure. I'm in the pursuit of truth. In the pursuit of truth, admitting my mistake is what makes me a hero. In the pursuit of honor, in the pursuit of arrogance, in the pursuit of, of, of praise and esteem, yeah, maybe making a mistake is bad for you. But in pursuit of integrity, integrity is all that matters. You want real dignity? Be a chacham. We're on page 2 in the introduction to Rabbeinu Abraham ben Arambam. If you're in the Google Classroom, you want to look for this class, and you're going to click Introductions, Rabbeinu Abraham ben Arambam. Page 2, in the left side. Greater than this. Because our Chachamim loved so much the way of, of justice, of truth. Amru, they say in Masechet Nida. Okay, Rabbi Rava, Amora Alei. Rava took a, a, a Meturgaman. We spoke on a Meturgaman the other day. Meturgaman is the broadcaster. He's the microphone. He's this thing. The Chacham would sit here. There would be thousands of people. He would speak and he would broadcast. He would speak and he would broadcast. Meaning in public. Rava put his broadcaster. Vidarash v'amar. And he stood up and he preached and he said, Devarim she'amarti bifnechem. The words that I taught you previously. Ta'ut hem biyadi. They were a mistake. I made a mistake. Why? Because Rava loved truth more than being right. And other things connected to this, included in this category. Learn from this not to believe things because people said them, but rather because ra'ayot, they can bring logical proofs to that fact that they are true. And that's what my father, my teacher, the Rambam, who else can say, oh, my dad, the Rambam, <laughs> my teacher, the Rambam, who can say that? Rabbi Abraham. He explained this as well. And every person who is able to get beyond their, their human condition of instincts, of lust, of desires. Remember in the Moed of Uchim, Rambam says that oftentimes the people who have a hard time with intellect is because they're so steeped in other things. It's an I wish to quote for you here a teaching. To show you, to prove to you, 
that the rabbis loved emet, they loved truth. Whoever said it, Rabbeinu HaRambam, in the introduction of the Shemana Prakim, the eight chapters of psychology before before Perkei uh, Avot, before his commentary Perkei Avot. You know, there was a time where people learned these books. The Shemana Prakim, the Rabbeinu HaRambam. Even in Hasidic Keshivot, I have a commentary, two commentaries, on this introduction of the Rambam to the human nature. It has two Hasidic commentaries on it. And I went, why the Hasidim? And I looked and I searched. It turns out that when the Hasidic Yeshivot were taking breaks, for example, for Pesach vacation or summer vacation, I'm talking about in the olden days in Europe, they would take a break from their other areas of study and they would study things that interested them, like the writings of the Rambam. And that's why there are Hasidic commentaries on it, because they actually studied these works. If they studied them like the Rambam would have wanted, I can't tell you. That's really a different story. Our rabbis say in Masechet Pesachim. I can't go into this whole story here because this, really this sugya, we could sit on it for, I wouldn't exaggerate if I would say weeks. And it's at the crux of a lot of what goes on today in the conversation between different rabbis from different camps, science versus Torah, uh, things that are written in the Chachamim, rational things, other things. Tanu Rabbanan, a rabbi say, Chachmei Yisrael omrim galgal kavua umazalot chozrim, vechachmei umot haolam omrim galgal chozer umazalot kvuin. This is a conversation about how the stars in the sky work, how how the, the heavenly spheres work. It's a machloket between the Chachmei Yisrael, the rabbis of the Jewish people, the wise ones of the Jewish people, vechachmei hagoyim, and the chachamim of the nations of the world. And there's a conversation back and forth among the Chachamim between these things. Amar Ribi, the Ribi says, who's Ribi? Whenever he's Tam Ribi, Ribi Uda Anasi. Nirim Divrehem. Their words make more sense than ours. And he brings a proof to that. But Rabbeinu HaKadosh, Ribi Uda Anasi, he admits that the words of the non-Jewish scholars are more correct than theirs. When Rabbi heard these words, When Rabbi Udanasi examined the arguments and said their arguments make more sense than ours, and that's why he said, that their words make more sense. Even though this is perhaps a weak proof, like you see, but look, don't, don't focus on the argument. That's why I'm not focusing on the argument between the rabbis and Chachamei Umot Haonam. But when you look, examine this for itself, how precious is this teaching? That they taught us, that they that when Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi was examining something, he was examining it through logical proof. When he was looking at a, a, examining an argument, he didn't care. Was it somebody Jewish who said it? Was it someone not Jewish who said it? Was it a Chacham who said it? When you are focusing on something, ignore who said it. It doesn't make a difference who said it. If a non-Jewish scholar said it, then it's true, and it's true. 
And if a Jewish scholar says it and it's a lie, it's a lie. The truth is what matters. That's the purpose of this story. And he proved and leaned towards the side of the non-Jewish scholars precisely because he accepted their argument as the more rational one. And that's what he says, means when he says, Their words make sense. Meaning, it makes sense that we should follow those words, and that's what they say, and if you look in the Moren Vuchim, this is the text literally that's there, in the second part of the Moren Vuchim. The Rambam records that the non-Jewish scholars were victorious over the Jewish scholars. You can imagine that they're apologetics, they don't like non-Jews so much. And they have a really hard time with this story. We don't. The Rambam says, Kabel et I was telling you the introduction to those eight chapters. The Rambam said, I'm not going to quote my sources. Because I know how the Jewish community works. If I quote Jewish scholars, you'll accept everything they say to be true. If I quote non-Jewish scholars, even if they say the truth, you won't accept it. Rather, I won't quote anybody. Accept the truth from whoever says the truth. That is the flag of a Torah scholar. And really this man, this master in the Talmud, He's called our holy rabbi, Rabbeinu HaKadosh. Whenever you see the words, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, our holy rabbi, there's only one person it can refer to. There are a few titles like that in the world. Maran, you see the word Maran? Only Shulchan Aruch. Yeah, other people use it for other rabbis. Rabbeinu HaKadosh. When you see Ribi, or Rabbeinu HaKadosh, Ribi Da'anasi. Why was he called that? You should know it. I wrote here in the parentheses Shabbat Kuf Yudchet. In Shabbat Kuf Yudchet, a rabbi said the reason he was called holy was because his whole life he never looked at his Brit Milah. It's not what Rabbi Abraham is learning from the story here. Why was he called Kadosh? Ki ha'adam me'al panav When a person throws away, casts away from themselves lies, vi kayem ha'emet and they establish the truth to be true. And he forces the truth. He accepts the truth to be true. When he retracts his opinion, when a person retracts their opinion because they've discovered the opposite to be true, and safek, there's no doubt, that such a person is considered holy. What is holy? Not having two sinks in your kitchen. What is holy? Not walking around with how many kind of hats you have or what color jacket you wear to bet knesset on Shabbat. What is holy? Not which kosher symbols you eat or don't eat. What is holy? Not how you tie shoelaces on Shabbat. What is holy? How much integrity do you have? Kedoshim tihiyu, the creator of the world says, be holy. Ki kadosh ani, because I am holy. To be holy means to be truthful. To be holy means to have integrity. That's what being holy is about. And that's why Rabbi Huda Nasi is titled by our rabbis, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, our holy rabbi. Holy, our truthful rabbi. Our rabbi with integrity. This week there was a war raging in the rabbinic community in Israel. Not my place to stick my head in. 
Some Chachamim said this way, some said that way. One rabbi got up and he said, oh, this is forbidden, those Chachamim will give judgment one day. Da, 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 da. And I was thinking to myself, you know which Chacham said this? A Chacham who was guilty of stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars from people. He's called a rabbi. Wow, I just did the people, the fanfare he got. Wow, thank you, rabbi, for the truth. Thank you, rabbi. This one would know truth if it looked him in the face. This week, I have a Tamid Chacham I'm a friend with. And I saw this week that somebody attacked him. Lightly, attacked him. What did he attack him? Some Chumran, he called Pesach. So you have to do tshuva, you have to be better in Pesach. Who's speaking? A man who the crimes that he's committed against children, you would never want to know about. Don't worry, he went to court. Such a person? You're going to preach to a Tamichacham what is truth? What makes a person a Kadosh today? So I told this Tamichacham, I said, you know, I wish, some days I wish, let's get rid of the title Rabbi. Let's get, everyone is a Rabbi nowadays. Every Amhal is a Rabbi. Every crook has the title Rabbi. You know, our rabbis didn't used to use the title Rabbi. It used to be called Chachamim. What is a Chacham? You can't be stupid and be a Chacham. You can't be a liar and be a Chacham. You can't be a crook and be a Chacham. Be a Rabbi, and it could be all kinds of things when you're a Rabbi, clearly. It's something to consider. Give up the title. It's become clear to us. That our rabbis of blessed memory when they examine opinions they don't look they only look at the matters is it true and are there logical proofs to this matter but not because of who said that opinion let it be whoever it will be you're living in a world where everybody's partisan for some issue. Everybody's biased somewhere. By all of us, myself included. I'm not giving Musa against other people. But sometimes I look and I, wow, everything this politician says you believe in, everything that politician says you don't believe in, you identify with that, par- that party platform, you were born on that party's platform. But everything, everything they say is true, they never made a mistake, they never lied, they're never wrong. What are they, Kadosh Baruch they're, they're the Torah from Sinai. My rabbi said, your rabbi is infallible. Moshe Rabbeinu made mistakes. Your rabbi doesn't make mistakes, right? Explain to me, where is the world which examines opinions truthfully? Let's sit down. Even if it's something I believe my whole life, am I willing to examine this issue anew, from the beginning? If the answer is no, then I have to first examine myself. Why do I have the inability to accept truth? I told you earlier that I'm speaking about myself. I'm speaking about myself. You know, for me, when I'm teaching in a room that doesn't have all of the, my Talmudim inside of it, it's hard because normally I see people and I see their reactions. I'll share personal deal, and I'm hoping that you on the other end will appreciate my sharing personally. When I came to Yerushalayim, uh, I signed up to go to yeshiva in, in, in the old city of Jerusalem. I figured, you know, it's just a Sephardic version of the kind of yeshiva that I went to. And what was I wrong? Was I wrong? I came to yeshiva. Uh, I'm saying this in praise, 
If you would open up the dictionary for the word dysfunctional, that's what you would find over there, our yeshiva. Nothing was organized, nothing made sense. The food, I, one night we came for dinner, I came for yeshiva in Baltimore. It was a wealthy yeshiva, it had a, a, a campus, it had food, it had a, a luxury, it had dorms, it has a bed midrash and classrooms and a full team, a maintenance crew, something broke in your room, they took care of it. I come to the shiva and put on a floor in a mattress somewhere. I come for dinner, they serve dinner as peas, rice, and eggplants. I said, okay, what's the main course? He says, uh, eggplants. Okay. The next night I came for dinner, peas, rice, eggplants. He said, tonight the main course is peas. That's it. I remember the, the hot water getting turned off in the winter. We didn't, they didn't have enough money to pay. Without, we showered with cold water. Thank God that I had my parents' credit card. That's the only way I survived. I was able to go eat a shawarma or something like that. When I came to the yeshiva, I wasn't prepared for one thing. You see, the, the world of the yeshivot where I had come from was all about, there's a code. Every place has a code, but the codes there were different. The Torah scholars in Bavel, they're known for their clothing, the way they dress. They dress like Torah scholars. They look like regular Jewish people. I came to the yeshiva, and I see one of the Rashi yeshiva with his sleeves rolled up. White shirt, tie, and sleeves rolled up. I couldn't believe it. Now, I feel embarrassed telling this today. When I used to be in yeshiva in America, when I would go knock at my rabbi's house on the door, I would knock at the door, who is it? Oh, one minute. And the rabbi would go and put on his tie and put on his jacket and put on his hat, and until then, he wouldn't open the door. You should see a rabbi without a hat and a jacket. At least they busted one myth for me. I thought they slept with a hat and jacket also. I come to the yeshiva of Peretz. Now, Peretz is giving a shiur. And everything he says in that shiur goes against everything that I was taught until then. Everything. It made sense. No? It made sense in my heart. But in my head, everything that I was educated in went out the window. When people come to the Shiviti learning forums or the Pesach Kashur forum, and this year it's been a little mellow, but there are people who fight and they say mean things and there are other people who talk trash. And I don't get upset at them anymore. Because I was once that person. I know what it's like to meet something that, that it pulls out the rug from underneath you. you. You feel like everything you know is not true anymore. So what can I believe anymore? And I, I remember calling my parents and said, I'm going to leave this place. The Rosh Hashiva is crazy. Who does he think he is to argue with Rabbi Yavad Yosef? Who does he think he is that we're going to do something different than everybody else? Who's that? And I spoke to one of my friends, Yizachar I said, Yonatan, maybe what's bothering you is that he's challenging you. He's pushing you out of your comfort zone. Maybe you have to try. A trial run. From now until Sukkot. And think, ignore everything you know until today. And examine objectively if the things that are being said to you are true or not. My friends, that was the year 2008. Until 2012, I didn't leave the door of Moria Rav Yaakov Peretz. He became my rabbi. It took, it took, it was brutal. Sometimes it's still brutal. To rid yourself of preconceived notions, of beliefs that you have beforehand. But a person has to do that if they wish to find truth. There's nothing holier than the truth. Torah emet natananu. He gave us a Torah of truth. Our rabbis say, the chotam, the seal of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Emet. 
is a seal of truth. You wish to discover the Creator? You wish to know the world through the blueprints of the world, the Torah? Then you have to know truth. To know truth, you have to be willing to retract, to take back, to relearn, to reprogram yourself in the way you used to think. So everything I said today was not supposed to be part of my shiul. <laughs> that was just a, the few minute introduction to my shiul. If you'll give me your time, Rabbeinu Avraham ben Arambam is going to run us through five types of agadot that I wish when I was in yeshiva, at any point in yeshiva, somebody would have taught this to me. It would have made my life a whole different world. What I'm going to tell you now is revolutionary because of how fundamental it is. Because of how foundational it is. The types of derashot. Oh, let's finish. And after this interaction I'll say, he says, I'm going to ask from Hashem help to understand the truth. That all of the words that are found in their writings, in the Talmud, in all the other places, are split into five categories. Page three in the right column, the first type. So you're going to find five types of non-legal parts in the Talmud. The first, the first part. The first part of the five types of derashot, of Agadata, These are derashot, these are teachings of our rabbis that are meant to be taken literally. It means nothing more than what it says. The first, literal meaning. When you see a writing of a Chachamim, it's meant to mean what it actually says. In this category, because it's already self-explanatory, and you don't need many examples here, maybe you should say, and I will just give you an example so that it can expand this a little bit. It's what our rabbis say in Masechet Berachot. Amar Rabbi Yochanan Mishum Rabbi Shimon Ben Yochai. Rabbi Yochanan says in the name of Rabbi Shimon, the son of Yochai, Asur le'adam shimale sechokpiv ba'olam hazeh. It's forbidden for a person to fill up their mouth with laughter in this world. It's forbidden to be overjoyed with laughter in this world. Shalemar, like it says in Tehillim, Az yimale sechokpinu. Then, when is then? Then will our mouth be full of laughter? When Hashem will return the captives of Zion to Israel, that's when we'll be able to finally rejoice. But until then, it's forbidden. Meaning, what, are, what does he mean by this? Nothing more than what he said. If that's a halakha or not, it really is for you to figure out. But when you read this derasha, you don't have to go look for hidden meanings. It's not a hidden concept. This concept is very straightforward. The second type. The second category are those teachings of our rabbis that have an external meaning and an internal meaning. That the intention of the Chachamim, even though there's two ways to take this, the literal surface level and the deeper level, the intent of Chachamim is for you to understand the inner level, the inner understanding and not the outer understanding. 
הפך ענייני הפנימית לתועלת גדולה, and, maybe שזה עניינו, and our rabbis gave two meanings, a literal meaning and a deeper meaning, and those two things normally contradict each other, precisely for a very great reason. Like the Rambam, his father taught us in the Moren Vuchim in the introduction, as well as his introduction to the commentary in the Mishnah. We studied those uh, in the earlier sessions. Essentially, the Rambam was telling us that certain things that were Chachamim covered up, you would be misled if you read their writings literally. For the very simple reason, they didn't want everybody to have access to these teachings. So they wrote them with some kind of encryption. You would read it literally, you think it means this. But really, for one who has intelligence and, and familiarity with the words of Chachamim, it means something else entirely. For example, he says, like what are rabbis saying in Masechet Tanit? Rabbi Eliezer says, and I cannot tell you how many times I've heard people teach this Gemara literally. This is literally what's going to happen. This is literally. Rabbi Eliezer says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is destined to make a circle of dance for the Tzadikim. In Gan Eden, and Hakadosh Baruch Hu will stand in the middle of all the tzaddikim. So they're all dancing in a circle, presumably. The square dancing was not a, the custom at the time of the Talmud. And he's standing in the middle of them. And everyone is pointing at Hakadosh Baruch Hu with his finger. Like it says in Yeshayahu the Prophet. This is our God that we yearn for, and He will save us. This is the God that we hope for. We will rejoice and we will be happy in His redemption of us. So people say, you know what's going to happen after 120 years? The Tzadikim, we come to Gan Eden and Gan Eden. By the way, people don't know what, what does Gan Eden mean, where is Gan Eden, what time period is Gan Eden. In Gan Eden, all the tzaddikim are going to dance around in a circle, and Akadosh Baruch is going to be dancing in the middle, like some Rebbe in the middle, and everyone's going to point at him, and this is our God. There went the Rambam's whole God is not a physical being. By the way, so how could people interpret it that way? Don't think that it was so long ago that there were Jewish people in the community who believed, what are you Jewish people? Chachamim, who believed that God had a physical form. Research after the shiur, the writings of Rabbi Levi ben Gershom, the Rabbag. Hine pshat drash haze yarchik kol baal sechel, vechol baal emuna mehamino. This simple meaning of this teaching, every person who has intelligence and everyone who has emuna will distance the simple reading here. Vein will reject the simple meaning. Vein yan hamiti and the truth of this matter, shit kaven alav Rabbi Yezer, which Rabbi Yezer intended to teach us. That the reward for the tzaddikim in the next world is that they will be able to understand, grasp concepts of the divine, what they were unable to grasp in this world. And that's the reward in the next world. Their reward is that what they work their whole life for, they're going to really see the truth about. And that's the greatest reward you could possibly give them. 
והמשיל שמחת ההשגה היא כשמחת מחול. וכן דימה שמחת כל אחד ואחד, מה שלא יכול להשיג תחילה מנות ברח באומרו, the joy was an individual joy, because they couldn't reach this level before, וכל אחד ואחד מראה עליו באצבע. Then every individual was pointing, because each individual struggled with the divine in their own way. והביא ראייה על המלטת הנפש המשכלת מן האף והחמה בעזרת השם באומרו ויושיענו. והביא ראייה על ההדר והכבוד אמת שישנו עוד אז הצדקים באומרו נגיב שכר בישועתו. Other דרשות is bringing from here. וזה תכלית בקצרות לשון ושלמות עניין מפי דמיון והוראת It seems like that should say יופי perhaps. I will say perhaps I don't want to edit anything. דמיון והוראת עניין נכבדים ורבים במילות קצרות ודרים מעטים, ובזה תחשוב לכל כיוצא בזה. So the words ויושיענו is a salvation, meaning being saved from what they were experiencing before. נגיד אב נשמחה בשעתו, the joy that these צדיקים will feel will be like the joy of being redeemed. Our eyes were lit up and we feel like free people now that we understand something. This is a classic case of something that literally means one thing. The Kadosh Baruch Hu will bring everybody to dance together and they'll point at him. It means nothing about dancing, nothing about pointing, nothing about dancing and seeing God, but about the experience of understanding and grasping the divine and the joy that will be felt on an individual level and how exuberant they will be when they all discover that joy. החלק השלישי, the third category. החלק השלישי, you know, if you and I had months and months, we should sit and do this introduction slowly. But I want to finish the introduction, Bezal Hashem, before Pesach, hopefully, so that right after Pesach we can begin studying the next topics of what we have in mind. החלק השלישי, the third category, דרשות שאין להם עניין פנימי. These are teachings that have no internal meaning. There's no deeper meaning. But our rabbis intended for them to be understood literally. How is that different than the first category? Listen. The understanding of these teachings is very cryptic. It's very hard. So unlike the first category where it's meant to be taken literally, but the teachings are also very simple, the third category are things that are meant to be taken literally, but only if you can crack the code to understand what they mean in the first place. And if you understand it, you'll realize there's something missing in the context. It's, it's encrypted deeply. היפוך כוונתם לקושי העניינים והשתתפות המילותיהם ונאמרו בשיתוף על שני עניינים. And sometimes you'll find that it seems like there's opposing ideas here. Even the words seem to contradict things. וזה החלק בקושי ובהסתרו קרוב לחלק שלפניו, אך במקצת מקומות יותר קשה מנסתר. And in this way, it's similar to the second category, meaning that our rabbis encrypted them in such a way that you wouldn't be able to understand them, the masses wouldn't have access to them, those who were not intelligent enough would not be able to access them. But sometimes they're even more difficult than the second category. The second category, if somebody were to say, hey, what's about the story with the dancing with Hashem? Could you come up with your own interpretation of that? You might be able to. But in other teachings, like in the third category, you're supposed to understand it literally, by cracking an encrypted code, that even if you think you understand it, you realize you don't really understand it. Because you don't want to rush to conclusions, and you'll understand it incorrectly, and then ultimately, you will stray from the proper path.
If I might say here, it's not the intention perhaps of Rabbeinu Avraham and Rambam, but I think that oftentimes people who don't understand the words of our rabbis properly, they end up straying from the proper path in general because they reject everything. They throw the baby out with the bathwater and this is a danger in trying to understand things without having the ability, the intellectual ability and the, the textual or background ability to understand these texts. In that example for this is what's found in Tractate Brachot on page 5b. Our rabbis tell us that one should always anger their Yetzer Hatov al Should always cause his good inclination, and I'm not defining those terms right now, to fight against his evil inclination. Like it says, And if you conquer your Yetzer Hara, Mutav, that's good. But if you don't defeat your Yetzer your evil inclination, you should read Kiryat Shema. You should say the Shema prayer. Because it says in the Torah, on your bed, and if you defeat your Yetzer after saying Kiryat Shema, so you couldn't defeat him on your own, you defeat him with Kiryat Shema. If the Kiryat Shema doesn't work, if it works, good. And if it doesn't, remember the day of death. Remember the, Imagine the day that you're going to die. So now, our Chachamim are telling us a teaching. The teaching is, always try to fight your Yetzirah Hara with your Yetzirah Tov. If that doesn't work, read Shema. If that doesn't work, remember the day of death. And then they're elaborating this, embellishing this onto a Pasuk. You might be able to understand this literally, but the problem is that the meaning of the words Yetzer HaTov, Yetzer HaRa, this is the beginning of the Talmud. This is Masach Berachot, chapter five, page 5. What is a Yetzer HaTov? What is a Yetzer HaRa? I remember as a kid, like a little uh, angel and a demon on your shoulders, a white angel and a red angel. That's a Yetzer HaTov and a Yetzer HaRa. What does it mean to make one fight the other one? And the way to fight your Yetzirah, either by making your Yetzirah Tov angry at your Yetzirah, that's one, or reading Shema at your Yetzirah, that's two, or three, remembering the day of death, the methods which were suggested to fight the Yetzirah are hard to understand. And says I will elaborate in this concept to show you how you learn the third category properly. Why? so that you'll be able to apply this method to other teachings of our rabbis. Vomer, an essay, Kilashon Yergiz, to make the Yetzer HaTov angry at the Yetzer HaRa, Ratzan Omar, means to say, Lehamshil, Lehashlit Yetzer Tov, Hu Hadat, to dominate the evil inclination with your Yetzer HaTov, what's the Yetzer HaTov? Dat, your intellect, your, your understanding. V'Yetzer HaRa, Hu Ta'avat HaGuf, V'chayotzeba, and your yetzara, your evil inclination, are the lusts of your body. Allow your mind to conquer your heart. The kavanat ha'inyan, and the meaning of this matter, that a person should always be in control of their lusts and their needs and their desires. Their intellect should always control those. They should constantly be in your mind. You should always agitate your dat, meaning... Uh, 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 
activate your intellect against your your base desires. And if that's enough, and if that's enough for you to get rid of your tavot, your your incorrect needs, then that's great. Vimlav, and if that doesn't work, Yosif you should add deeper intellect. What is Yetzar Tov? Yetzar Tov is, is intellect, it's that. And you should say something with your mouth. So if you can't do it in your mind, then you then have to use the faculty of your mouth. Use your mouth. In your lips. Psukim umilot, you should say verses and words. That will remind you of the importance of dominating, of overcoming your evil in yourself. So with this intellectual uh, exercise and the verbal exercise, you should ultimately come to a place where you can go think about something else and focus on things that are important. And our Chachamim chose the recitation of Kriyat Shema for a few reasons, two reasons. The first reason, by the way, here, the way I'm reading it is it's using a masculine language, but it seems correct to me that it should be written in a feminine language. I looked in the different edition of the Rabbeinu Abraham ben Abbam's introduction, and over there it was written in the feminine. I'm going to read what I have in front of me, but if those of you who are sensitive to this uh, are picking up on it, you'll already do your own homework at home. So the first is the weaker of the reasons. The verse talking about the Yetzirah says, in your bed. When you lay, like laying. And then Shema it says about laying in your bed. And this is comparing two texts. Sometimes the rabbis say, one word is written in this book here, and with a similar word is written somewhere else. That means that these two things have something to do with each other. We have a Gezerah Shava that's origin is from Mount Sinai. Moshe Rabbeinu taught our rabbis that you compare these two words and reach this lesson from it. It says, Rabbeinu Abraham, here it's a rabbinic teaching. So these rabbis don't have a tradition from Mount Sinai, but they did it with their own logic. Well, let's compare the Yetzirah, which is talked about in your bed, to what else do you do in your bed? You say Kriyajma. The second reason is the most compelling reason. Because when you read there's a lot of great things to remember. The purpose of the Yetzar Tov. And love, and the service of the Creator. Yichud is the oneness of Hashem. And the submission of the Yetzar Don't lust after your eyes. And strengthening the good inclination. Be'omot says, You should be holy for Hashem your God. Meaning, the purpose of Kriyat Shema specifically is it includes all these things. The oneness of Hashem, the goodness of doing what's right, the evil of succumbing to that which is bad, being holy, all of these things are found, all these themes. And of course, a person would be thinking about these themes when they read Kriyat Shema. I was once looking at a Sidu and it had all these meditations you should have in the Sidu. But none of them had anything to do with the words being said. So if you're meditating on all these things, but you don't think about what the Sidu says, what does it help you? There's people who don't even meditate on anything. They're just saying the Sidu, but they don't, they don't, they don't know. They don't even think about the words they're saying. They're on autopilot. They come to Bidakneset, click play, zzz, they zoom through, and they're done. What did you say? Kriyat 
ולא כאן הקריאה שמע הזאת. וזאת הטורו, אחרי לבבכם, ואחרי עיניכם, אשר אתם זונים, אחרי למען תזכרו. Think about the words that you say. These words are very important. It's the solution to Yetz Ha'ra. ואחר כך, and afterwards, אמרו, הרבי עושה, אם ניצחו מוטב, if you defeat your Yetz Ha'ra, that's good. כלומר, אם הרע יעלה גאונו וגאוותו ולא ייכנע לבבו, הערל במבטא שפתיים באותם מסוגים זרים גשמה, if you're unable to overcome your Yetz Ha'ra, the pride Yetz Ha'ra, the strength of Yetz Ha'ra, with the recitation of these פסוקים, אז יכניעהו בזיכרון יום המיטה וסוף כל האדם. Then you have to resort to the last, the last method. And the last method is to remember the day of death. ודי בזה שברון יצר הרע והכנעת גאונו. And that thought, that morbid thought of the day of death, is enough to break the יצר הרע. We would have liked something easier. But it didn't work, so throw the book at him. קניין מה שאמר עקביה במהלל. What עקביה במהלל says in מסכת אבות, the third Uh, chapter of Perkei Avot, the first Mishnah, you know, in Yerushalayim, and in Sephardic funerals outside of Yerushalayim, uh, we say this, uh, we should never have to say it, but when we're carrying the body to the grave, we say this, Look at three things, you won't come to sin. Then it says, know this and know that, and the next thing, th- always to think about, where is a person going? What is the purpose of creation? And that's the purpose of remembering the day of death. To remember, hey, life is not forever. You're always saying, tomorrow I'll be a better person. Next year I'll be a better person. When I hit this birthday, I'll accomplish my goals. When I do this, I'll reach my... But then what happens, Chazunov? A person is 40 and they re- oh, they're sick with something they never knew they had. Now they can't travel anymore. A person realizes, wow, you know, something happened. Their money, all the money they had disappeared. Now they can't do this. So what is going to happen? When, when do you keep pushing things till tomorrow and say, now, I have to remember now, that life is finite. That's something you have to do now. The fourth level. My friends, if you'll stay with me for just a few minutes, we'll finish level four and level five, so that next week we could uh, take this from a whole new place. Level four. The fourth level. That will say... בפירוש פסוקים על דרך מחמדי השיר. It's, uh, in Sephardic Hebrew we call this מליצה. It's a, like poetic expressions of verses. Understanding the verses in a non-literal way. לא מפני שאומרם האמין כי עניין הפסוק הוא עניין הדרש ההוא. וחלילה וחס. Sometimes you read the Sidur, you read the Mishnah, you read the, the Gemara, it says, אל תקרא, don't read it like this, rather read it like that. But it doesn't say that, it says this. Our rabbis are not telling you that they have some divine transmission to read this differently. Rather, they're, in a, they're using poetic license to teach an idea from a verse that wasn't literally meant to be read that way. What a rabbi says, The way you read it is one way, and the way you learn from it is a different way. Uh, it seems to me that the origin of that actually comes from Masechet Abu Dazara, like I wrote here, uh, chapter, uh, page 58. Over there it says, Lashon Torah Latzma, Lashon Chachamim Latzmo. The language of the Torah is one way, the language of Chachamim is a different way. Though in the Gemara there, it's not what it means. It's, they're not saying it the way he's saying it, but it's become already a, a, a phrase in the Jewish community. Mikra lechud, the reading of the verse is one way, Midrash lechud, and the interpretation of them is a different way. These are non-literal interpretations, also non-legal interpretations, of text. V'dimiyon ha'chelek hazeh, and the example of this 
category, so the rabbi is saying, Masachet Tanit. Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says, my dichtiv, what does it mean in Devarim? Aser ta'aser, you shall surely tithe, you should take tithes from, to do ma'asrot, but in Sfaradim we have this problem. In Sfaradim, according to many Sfaradim, tithing is optional. If you want to do it, you should, but you don't have to. By Ashkenazim, it's mandatory. Don't all become Sfaradim now. In this matter, be Ashkenazim. What does it mean? Aser ta'aser? Aser bishvil shetit asher. It says aser ta'aser. You should take off ma'aser so you shall become wealthy. Aser and asher, wealth and, and, and tithe, have the same word, letters. Snakasher musham, like a rabbi saying, ta'anid, b'perush, v'arikot yilachem beracha ad belidai. The Hasidim have a song about this. And I will pour over you a blessing ad belidai until there is a, uh, until you can't say stop enough. It's a verse in Malachi, and our rabbi is extrapolating, explains in Tanit to say, until your lips will become worn out for saying, die, die, it's enough, we have too much, I can't take anymore. It's like when you go to your mother's house for Shabbat. Maybe my mother, I don't know about your mother. You go to your mother's house for Shabbat, and she gives you uh, soup, and she gives you fish, and she gives you salad, and she gives you chicken, and she wants to give you meat, and, she wants, and you're like, I can't, I don't have room. What, you don't like my food? I don't like your food. I don't have, I can't, I have nowhere to put it anymore. And they bring dessert, and they bring tea, and they bring and then nuts, and then fruits, and then there's nothing left. Until your lips just can't handle it anymore. Those are non-literal interpretations of that verse. Hashem is blessing the Jewish people that one day we'll have so much that we will we'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll beg Him to stop giving us. And everything in, in that is involved in this category, in the fourth category. Page four in the bold writing, and it should never enter your heart. People think that these interpretations of the verses were taught to Moshe Rabbeinu and Harsinai and our rabbis are giving you a divine explanation of these verses. That's not true. That's not true. These things are our rabbis. You should know the explanation of verses that don't have to do with the principles of our faith. And they're non-halachic verses. <coughs> don't cook a goat in its mother's milk. That has halachic ramifications. <clears throat> you can't show up today and reinterpret this verse. Not to light a fire on Shabbat, you can't come today and give it a new interpretation. But a verse like, Aser ta'aser, you should surely tithe, and you're not coming to deal with the laws of tithing. You're coming to encourage. I want to encourage you to tithe. I mean, if you tithe, the Kosh will pay you. It's a derasha. Sometimes these things were logical conclusions our rabbis reached, or they were their own opinions that they reached. And these things are really nice. They're, when you understand militia, you understand poetic license, that's really cute. That's a really nice thing. And they project these opinions that they have onto verses and they fuse them together. And sometimes you can even do, you can study the same verse in a few different rhymes or riddles or ways of milita 
And they all mean different things. And so what that it has more than one meaning? Because it's not the verse that we're trying to interpret. It's an opinion of ours or an understanding of ours that we're trying to embellish or to project onto a verse. Kiani, because I, says Rabbi Nachman Rambam, I have no doubt that in the teaching in the Mechilta of, I forgot to put that source in, of Rabbi Yoshua in Parashat Vayishma Yitro, the Parashat where Yitro comes. Vayishma Yitro, what did he hear? A rabbi say, Which Shemua did he hear? What, what sound did he hear that made him come? He heard the war of Amalek, and then he came. But there you'll find the famous Machloket between the Rambam and the Ramban and, and different Rishonim about what happened that made it all come. Is the Ten Commandments coming first? Does it come later? I'm not sticking my head in there now. I gave a shiul here once about that. Our Rabbi said the above statement that he told heard the war of Amalek and came not from Kabbalah, from Moshe Rabbeinu. They didn't receive a tradition. They said that from their own, lo- their own logic, their own conclusion. What's the proof? Sheken hi parashat Amalek. Sheken, I wrote it in my notes. Sheken uktuva betzida, that it's written right next to it, Amalek. So right next to the Vishmaito is Amalek. Vim haita kabbalah biyadon, let's say l'raya v'l'feirushon. And if it was a kabbalah, he heard this in Moshe Rabbeinu Manzani, he said, listen, that's what I heard. That's the interpretation. But he said, what, how do I know Vishmaito? Because it's written right next to it. Amalek is written next to this verse, and that's why uh, he didn't have to bring a proof if it was of divine origin. Only because of human origin, he had to give you a proof, a logical proof, that you could examine yourself. And another proof, and this I wish. I, I have a book in my house. I'm not a Midrash kind of guy. But I have this book of Midrashim, Otsar HaMidrashim, on the whole Chumash. Every Pasuk and all the Midrashim, our Rabbi said about it. And every time I hear it, oh, the Midrash says, and how could you not believe it? I said, look, the same Midrash you quote from me, there's 300 other Midrashim that argue with that Midrash. I mean, don't tell me I don't accept Midrash, I don't accept your Midrash. In the fact that the rabbis in the Midrash argue about the interpretation of a verse tells you that not one of those ways must be the way to read the verse. I said this in Yerushalayim recently. Wow, a war that happened. Aside from Rabbi Yusha who said this teaching about Amalek, that's what he heard, they have a different opinion. And if this was a matter of divine origin, there would be no argument. He heard the giving of the Torah. That's why he came. He also brought a proof for his words. Rabbi Eliezer says, no, he heard the splitting of the sea. That's why he came. And he also brought an interpretation, uh, proof to his interpretation. So what is it? Is it Amalek? Is it the giving of the Torah? Is it the splitting of the sea? It can't be all of them. It says Rabbeinu Abraham, the fact they brought proofs shows you it's not of divine origin. And the fact that they are arguing with each other tells you that these three are opinions. There's no doubt in my mind that he who said in the Mechidan, that the Jewish people should go and they should travel, he see out that Again, over there, the interpretation of what does it mean? They travel, they journey. That interpretation is not a Kabbalah. It didn't come in divine tradition from Moshe Rabbeinu. 
Rather, that was their own understanding of this verse. You'll find in the writings of our rabbis of blessed memory. And you'll find many times that our rabbis, they don't try to interpret the verse. You read the teaching, it doesn't really fit with the verse. Because they're not trying to interpret the verse. They have a teaching they want to give you. It's 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 a... Perush Derashot. They have their own... Sorry. Derashot Omdot Datsman. These are our teachings that stand on their own. They're trying to connect them to a verse. By the way, the Ramchal, Rabbi Moshe Chaim has a book, Ikarim. It's interesting, I'm bringing him in here. This reminds me of that. He writes over there that our Chachamim, they had this urge that whatever opinions they had, they felt they needed to fuse the oral Torah with the written Torah. We have two Torahs. But whenever the oral Torah doesn't have a direct source in the oral Torah, then our Chachamim tried to connect oral teachings with written teachings, even if that's not the literal meaning of that teaching. And that's why it says, Al-Tikra, don't read it this way, read it that way. I mean, when you read the Torah, you should read it the correct way. But if you want to understand every person has a portion of the world to come, that, uh, that is not connected to the verse, what is it? Anybody who learns halakha every day, he is guaranteed a portion of the world to come. Like it says, don't say halichot, our rabbis had that teaching. If you study halakha every day, you'll have a portion of the world to come. They wanted to show you, you could also find a verse in the Torah that will allude to that as well, but God forbid that you should think that that's what the verse actually means. And they didn't intend that you should interpret it literally. What does it mean? The rabbis are arguing different opinions. Most of the derashot you find in their words of blessed memory are from this category, from category number four. There's nobody who will argue with this truth. Only a, a mistaken person and a wanton fool. Nobody else will argue with this. This is logical truth. This is the way we understand Chachamim. Unfortunately, Rabbi Muhammad Rambam, if he was living with us today, would find many people who are uh, in the category of a shote u peti. He said, and everybody with their own methods and their own understandings of Milita will all reach different conclusions because of this. I have one more paragraph to read to you for tonight. And this is the fifth category. These are things that a rabbis wrote in a way in a way of exaggeration. Things the rabbi said that there's no way you could think to understand them literally. They didn't. When they said them, they were speaking in exaggerated terms. My wife, when we first got married, uh, she wasn't used to this uh, Sephardic mentality of being uh, being generous with your words. You no, know, you ask the person, "How are you doing? How's the food? Good." Like when you have a teenager, good. How's the soup? Hot. How's your chicken? Salty. That's someone to, How's your day? Fine. You know those people, people like that. Then people ask them, hey, how are you? You just, you just say hi in the group. Me? How am I doing? Well, let me tell you. And you're like, oh, I didn't mean to talk to you right now. And they go on and they go on. And they... 
So there was a lady once uh, who, she had a husband who would always, when he would tell stories and he would lie to exaggerate, you know, we went on a cruise, and they, and whenever uh, she would, he would do that, it would embarrass her in public, so she told him once, listen, my dear husband, you exaggerate, it embarrasses me. Says, yeah, I get so caught up in my story, how am I supposed to know that I'm exaggerating? Says, okay, how about this, when I, you feel me kick you under the table, you'll know that I'm, uh, that, uh, that I'm telling you to stop exaggerating. It's a deal, kick me under the table and I'll stop right away. So they come to a Shabbat dinner and says, you know, let me tell you about that cruise we went on for Pesach. Nobody go on cruises for Pesach. That cruise we went on for Pesach, that was one cruise. It had 17 swimming pools in it and three free open bars. And you should see the movie theater over there. And the ship, the ship was, was seven miles long. And you know what? Wide. It was four and a half miles wide. And he feels the kick. Oh, and it was two feet tall. Sometimes Chachamim say things they never in their life thought that you would come along and take them. Not you, the royal you. They would take it literally. But remember what Rambam says. Clearly there's a lot of people in this category of stupid people. But they take the Derashot of Rabbis literally. Here's one of them. For example, in Tamu Psachim, in page 62b. Amar Mar Zutra. Mar Zutra says it's a verse in Divrei Hayamim. Mi hu ta'un arba me'agmaleh. The words in the verse between the first atzel and atzal, you could the, the interpretations we have in this verse, you would need four hundred camels to carry all of the teachings that we have in that verse. The atzel, the first one is the first in the pasuk, and the last one is the last word of the pasuk. It lists the names of Atzel. Kol ele bnei Atzal. So from the first Atzel to Atzal, there are names of sons. Our rabbis say, we could fit all the words of these rabbis on 400 camels. That's how much we have to teach on this one verse of names of people. So is Marzutra telling the truth? Some of the rabbis explain, look in the Rashi over there, they're trying to... To, to lighten the burden it's not that verse that they have so much to say about that it's not all the same verse rather it's two different verses that have the word atzel in them and ultimately comes out there's two whole sections it's not one verse, it's two whole sections. And that's where they get 400 camels from. It doesn't make a difference how you interpret it. Is it one pasuk or it's two chapters? Still, it's an exaggeration. There's no way you could expect any human being with intellect to believe that you have so many teachings on one verse that you could write 400 camel loads worth of, uh, of teachings on it. And this is just an exaggeration, and there are other rabbis aside from us that already interpret this. There's very few teachings of our rabbis that are like this. Compared to the other four categories that I said, I mean, the exaggeration of our rabbis is the rarest part of those four categories, five categories. And he says, the, the places where you find our rabbis exaggerate is normally in stories. 
but not in teachings. So in their teachings, they don't exaggerate so much, but in the stories, they may exaggerate. And those exaggerations are meant to be understood as exaggerations. So we have five categories of how to understand the words of our Chachamim. And those five categories are going to be our guiding light. The first is to understand that there's things that are apiapshat. You take them literally, they're meant to be taken literally. The second of those things are things which have an inner and an outer meaning. And the outer meaning is meant to mislead you so you won't find the inner meaning. The third are things that have the simple meaning but it's hard to crack that code. And even when you crack that code, it requires extra thought and pondering on that matter to reach the truth. The fourth category that we have are things that our rabbis embellish on verses. It's not what the verse means, but they're using, they're taking poetic license, creative license, to add their own ideas into the words of the Tanakh. And last but not least is the fifth category, where our rabbis sometimes exaggerate. That's the rarest of them, but you should know when you reach these different agadot, that the agadot may fall into one of these five categories. When you build a building, you must know that a building has to have foundations. And if we were to jump into Agadah and you say, well, how could that make any sense? I'll tell you, well, explain. Why do you teach me the explanation? That's why we have these introductions. The purpose of these introductions is for you and I to be able to establish a foundation so that when we finish the introductions that are required, you and I can study the entire Talmud from the beginning until the end, every piece of Agadah, and we can understand which category could this be fitting into. Is it from the first category, from the third category, from the fourth category? And we won't get thrown off by the teachings of our rabbis, that other people may get thrown off from. But like the Rambam said, this requires two things. To be a truthful person who's willing to reevaluate things you may have previously studied differently. And two, to be a person who's not afraid to pray and to accept that HaKadosh Baruch Hu teaches the wonders of his Torah to who he chooses. And we must pray and say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, please, may you be our helper. Gal and I, uncover my eyes. Ve'abita niflaot mitoratecha and allow me to discover the wonders inside of your Torah.